Today's Bible reading comes from Matthew, firstly chapter 6, verses 5 through to 13, and then chapter 7, verses 7 through to 12, and I'm reading from the NIV. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And now Matthew 7 and verse 7 onwards. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish... Will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to, do, to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> it's good to see you. <laughs> it's been a little while. In fact, I checked this week, March 15th of this year was the last time I was able to stand in front of you and open God's Word. That is almost seven months. That's a long time. It's good to be back together. It's good to be up here and to be able to open God's Word. And I'm kind of hoping it's a little bit like riding a bike. But I guess we'll find out. If you're joining us online, we're really glad to have you with us as well. You know, in these seven months that we've had recently, I'm sure you know that there have been so many people working very hard behind the scenes to make church online happen, and to make all those things around church online happen. And it's really reminded me that church, it's not about attending a service or watching a sermon, as wonderful as those things are, but it's about belonging to a community. It's about belonging to the body and bringing your part to build up that body. And we have just seen that in action these last few months. And I just thought that it might be good for us to just put our hands together in appreciation for those who have served us so well these last number of months. 
I don't know exactly what the, the next few months hold, but I know that we're in it together and God's with us. And if he's for us, then who can be against us? I'd love to pray for us and then we'll dive into God's word together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's sweeter than honey. It's more precious than gold. Lord, please help us to taste that, to see that this morning. And please shape us by it for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And today we uh, begin a brand new sermon series. For the next seven weeks, we're going to be turning our attention to prayer. And the series is called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. Now, you might be thinking, well, how to pray? It's easy. You say, dear God, you tell him what's on your mind and heart, you say amen, and you're done. And that's right. I mean, prayer is essentially talking with God, conversing with God, communion with God. Sometimes we make it more complicated than it needs to be. And yet I think most of us would admit that prayer isn't always easy. I think many of us would admit that prayer is often downright difficult. We might admit that we don't pray as consistently or as deeply or as authentically as we might like to. In fact, Michael Reeves is a a theologian and author. He's written a great little book called Enjoy Your Prayer Life. The first chapter of this book is called The Problem of Prayer. The first sentence in this book says, this is not a new revelation, but sadly, most of us are not good at prayer. Now, if I'm being honest, I'd put myself in that boat. I don't naturally and easily spend hours in prayer. Sure, I pray in the morning and during the day and on the run, but if and when I sit down to spend some time in prayer, my mind easily wanders. I begin to think about what I've got to do, who I've got to call, where I've got to go. And I don't think I'd be alone in that. I know many of us struggle to pray for many different reasons. We don't know what to say. We find it hard to concentrate. We wonder if our prayers make a difference. We wonder sometimes if God even hears our prayers. Now, it comforts me, and maybe it might comfort you to know as well that we're not the first to experience this. There was an episode in Jesus' life where he was praying, as he would often do, and the disciples, his 12 followers, they saw Jesus praying. They probably heard Jesus praying, and I imagine they thought to themselves, we don't pray like that. We don't pray as deeply and as intimately as that. I imagine they thought to themselves, uh, we don't pray as long as that. I mean, the Bible tells us Jesus would often spend entire nights in prayer. They might have thought to themselves, what does he say? What does he do? How can he spend so long in prayer? The disciples had a front row seat to the prayer life of Jesus. And this is what leads them to ask Jesus to say to him, Lord, teach us to pray. This is what we read in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. 
So when he finished, that's Jesus, when he finished praying, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, as far as we know, the disciples never asked Jesus to teach them to preach or to teach them to heal or to teach them to lead a team, though Jesus did all of those things. But they did ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And to this very humble, very simple request, Jesus gives an amazing answer. He doesn't give them a list of sophisticated techniques that they need to master. He doesn't belittle the disciples. He doesn't embarrass them or shame them or scold them by saying, seriously, you really should know this by now. He doesn't do that. He gives them and us a simple prayer to pray. And it is the greatest prayer in history. It's what's become known as the Lord's Prayer. Or as Tim Keller calls it, the prayer of prayers. And it's this prayer that we're going to be turning our attention to for the next seven weeks. Now, I would imagine that many of us are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you grew up reciting it at church or at school. Maybe you grew up praying it before dinner time or before bedtime. I know my dad would regularly pray the Lord's Prayer before dinner. I know many of us are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. And because we're familiar with it, I think some of us are thinking, seven weeks on the Lord's Prayer? Really? I mean, can't we kind of do it in one or two weeks? Now, the answer is we probably could. But I think because we're so familiar with the Lord's Prayer, because we've heard it so many times, the temptation is to take it for granted. To just assume that we know what it means. To overlook its message and to miss what it's saying to us. And so by slowing down to really look at the details of this prayer, to peel back its layers, I hope that we will discover its richness. I hope that we will be moved to want to pray and that we will be better equipped to pray, to pray more deeply, more authentically, more consistently. Now, if you're not a a Christian and maybe you've come along today, we're so glad to have you. Maybe you're joining us online. You might be thinking, well, this isn't really for me. I mean, I don't believe in God, which means I don't pray and I'm not really interested in learning how to pray. Now, if that's you, I would simply say that there is a lot more to the Lord's Prayer than just a guide about how to pray. The Lord's Prayer is actually, I don't know if you've noticed this before, but a summary of the Christian life. I mean, theologians throughout history have described the Lord's Prayer as the sum of the Christian life. Everything you need to know to live the Christian life is found in the Lord's Prayer. It tells us about who God is his name, his character, his kingdom, tells us about what God wants from us, to trust him for our needs, to ask him for forgiveness, to extend forgiveness to others and to stand firm in the face of evil. The Lord's Prayer is a summary of the Christian life. And as we dive into it together over these next seven weeks, we will gain a glimpse into the heart of Christianity and into the heart of Jesus. And so I'm really excited to explore this prayer together. 
Now, before we look at some of the details, let me just give you an overview of this powerful, beautiful prayer. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you'll know that there are four accounts in the Bible, four, not that many, four, of Jesus' life and ministry. We call them Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, the Lord's Prayer is found in two of them, Matthew and Luke. And if you're a keen observer, you'll know that there are some differences between Matthew's version and Luke's version. I've got the two on the screen for you, and I've just highlighted the differences. Matthew's is slightly longer than Luke's. Now, you might be wondering, why the difference? Is this some sort of error? Was Luke a little bit sleepy on the day when Jesus taught it and missed some of the details? Now, the answer is no. Most likely, Jesus would have taught this prayer many times, in many different circumstances and on many different occasions. And he probably emphasized different things at different times to different audiences as good teachers tend to do. Now, we're going to be exploring Matthew's version because it's better known and it's more comprehensive. Now, if you are a really keen-eyed observer, you may also notice that the traditional ending is not found on either of those versions. You know, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, that ending it is not found in the earliest manuscripts that we have of Matthew and Luke's gospel. Most likely, it was a slightly later edition by the early church. And that's why you probably won't find it in your Bible. Now, this doesn't mean it's not wrong to pray. It actually fits beautifully in with the prayer. But it was not found in the earliest manuscripts. Now, when we turn to the prayer itself, it really is quite simple, isn't it? There are two halves to the prayer and three requests in each half. Again, I've put the structure on the screen for you. Now, the first half, the first three requests, they're all about God and God's glory. The second half and the second three requests, they're all about our needs and our requests. And as we get into the series, we'll discover why this order is important. Now, you'll also notice that the prayer is short. <laughs> it's always amazed me that when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he didn't give them a long, flowery, eloquent prayer. He gave them a short, simple, succinct, punchy prayer. In fact, it's only 57 words in the original Greek language. It'll take you about 20 seconds to pray it from beginning to end. You can even fit it in a single tweet if you use Twitter. Now, this is why the subtitle of this series is A Simple Guide for normal people. Because the Lord's Prayer is simple. Now it's packed with power and depth and meaning as we're going to discover. But it's simple enough for anyone to pray it and anyone to understand it. It's also for normal people. Now remember, the disciples, they were not religious scholars or, or big shots. Now God used them powerfully to be sure, but they were fishermen tax collectors, and businessmen. Normal, everyday people like you and me. And this is the prayer that Jesus taught them to pray. It's two halves, 
Six petitions, 57 words. It's a simple guide for normal people. And actually, it's just that, as the subtitle suggests. It's a guide. You know, when Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer to the disciples, this is how he introduces it in Matthew chapter 6. He says, this then is how you should pray. Notice Jesus didn't say, this is what you should pray. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying the Lord's Prayer and reciting it. It's a good thing to recite the Lord's Prayer in church and in your own life and at home. But the Lord's Prayer is not just for us to repeat mindlessly. Jesus wants us to mean it when we pray it. This is exactly what he warns us about in the passage before he gives the Lord's Prayer about babbling and and, and repeating it without thinking about it. Jesus wants us to mean it when we pray it. And this is why he offers the Lord's Prayer to us as a guide. He says this is how you should pray. It's meant to be a guide for our prayers, a pattern, a model, a framework. You know, C.S. Lewis, he describes the Lord's Prayer as like a Christmas tree. Now, the lines of the Lord's Prayer are like the branches of the Christmas tree. Our own prayers are kind of like the decorations that we hang on it. You see, the Lord's Prayer provides the basis, the framework, and as we pray it, we can add our own prayers to it. So maybe it's as simple as our Father in heaven. Thank you that you are our Father. Thank you that you reign and rule in heaven on our behalf for our good. Hallowed be your name. Lord, would you make your name precious to me? I'm sorry for those times when it hasn't been the most precious thing to me. And so on and so forth. And so it's our hope in this series that we would all begin to learn to hang some decorations on the Christmas tree. That we might learn to incorporate the Lord's Prayer into our prayer life. Because it's a prayer to be prayed. But notice, and this is really important, it's also a prayer to be prayed together. It's not wrong to be prayed alone, I've just suggested that we do that, but did you notice the corporate language in the prayer? Jesus did not say to the disciples and to us, when you pray, pray, my Father in heaven, give me my daily bread, forgive my sins. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. This is a prayer for us to pray together. And this shouldn't surprise us because after all, Christianity, the Christian life, is a team sport. When we enter into relationship with God, we also enter into relationship with His people. When we are saved by Jesus, we are also saved into His body, the church. We are to pray the Lord's Prayer with each other and for each other. It's a prayer to be prayed together. And this is why we're doing this series. We want to grow in prayer as individuals, but we also want to grow in prayer as a church. In fact, I heard something recently that I thought was profoundly helpful. This person said, they said, the church moves forward on its knees. The church moves forward on its knees. And I mean, you see this all through the Bible. The church moves forward 
we grow in unity and love and faith, we reach more people, we do more good, not through our cleverness or through our relevance, not through our slick services and our flashy programs, but through prayer. Now those things are important and they're helpful, but they're not the ultimate thing. The ultimate answer is prayer. The church moves forward on its knees. Jesus said exactly this in John chapter 15. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Really, Jesus? Nothing? Surely we can do something. Nothing. The way we do anything is by abiding in Jesus. And the way we abide in Jesus is through prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but this excites me, relaxes me, because it doesn't depend on me. That's good news. It doesn't depend on our ingenuity, our brilliance. It depends on God and His grace and His power. And this is why it's so important for us to learn how to pray. This is why the Lord's Prayer is an incredible gift. So where do we begin? Well, we begin where Jesus begins. We begin with what I think is the most important line in the prayer. And it's not the first petition or it's not any petition, it's actually the address. It's the way that Jesus tells us to address God. Now, the reason this is so important and so fundamental is because if we get this wrong, we get prayer wrong. If we don't know the God to whom we pray, we will not properly understand how to pray. In fact, this is where so many of us go wrong when it comes to prayer. We get off on the wrong foot. We start off with wrong ideas about God, which leads to wrong attitudes towards prayer. For example, some of us might think, well, God controls everything, so I don't have to pray. Now, yes, God is totally sovereign. God does whatever He pleases. But amazingly, what pleases God is to work through our prayers. You might think, well, God is distant, far away, remote, removed. I need to really work myself up to get his attention when I pray. Or you might think, well, God is angry with me, disappointed in me. He doesn't want to hear from me, so I'm not going to pray. If we don't have a right view of God, we won't have a right view of prayer. And this is why Jesus begins the Lord's Prayer with the character of God, with the way that you and I should address Him. Here's what He says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Four simple words 
packed with eternal meaning. I want to explore these four simple words under three headings. Who God is, where God is, and what it means for us. Who God is, where God is, and what it means for us. Firstly, who God is. Now, God is described in many different ways in the Bible. He is our judge. He is our creator. He is our Lord and King, rock and refuge. He is love. He is light. He is a consuming fire. God is all these things and more. But when we turn to pray, Jesus says to us, call God Father. Now, this was not a common way to refer to God in Jesus' day. In fact, this would have shocked Jesus' original audience, especially because Jesus often used the term Abba, a term of intimacy and familiarity, sort of like saying Dad or Papa. This would have seemed too informal, too disrespectful to the average person in that day. Yet every time that Jesus prayed, except on one occasion on the cross, He called God Father. Now, you probably think, well, of course Jesus called God Father. He was the eternally existent Son of God. Of course he would call God Father. But what about me? I mean, how can I possibly call the Most High God Father? And the answer is not because we're good, well-behaved children. The answer is not because we're prayer warriors. The answer is not because we deserve it. The answer, the reason that we can call God Father is because God's Son has become our brother. The reason we can call God Father is because God's Son has become our brother. He has come from heaven to earth for you and for me. And He has come to bring us home. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12, says this about Jesus. To all who did receive him, received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What does it mean to be a Christian? Really, at its most fundamental level, it means to be adopted, to be made a child of God, to be brought into God's family by grace. When any time a child is adopted into a family, it's not because of who they are and what they have. It's not because of anything in them. It's because of the parents' love. And it's the same in the family of God. We are brought into God's family because the Father loves us. The Son has died for us and the Spirit dwells within us. J.I. Packer famously once said, that the the well-known theologian, said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. To have God as our Father changes everything, especially when it comes to prayer. It means we don't have to twist God's arm to hear us. It means we don't have to perform for Him. 
We don't have to bargain with him. We don't have to win him over with just the right words. He loves to hear from us. He wants to hear from us. This is exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 7, the passage that Jim read for us earlier. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus is saying God's door is open to us. God's heart is for us. God's ears are cupped towards us. I love the way Wesley Hill puts it, another theologian. He says, God doesn't require a flawless recitation of certain phrases. As if he were poised to fly into a rage in the absence of the right formula or performance. No. Jesus says, God is your father. And he already is disposed favorably toward you. Go find a quiet place where you can relax. Unclench your fists. Breathe deeply. Let your heart rate decrease. Know that you're already bathed in the Father's love and ask simply for what you need in the assurance that the one to whom you're speaking is already cupping his ear in your direction. That's what prayer should be. Do you know my favorite time of the day? It's when I come home from work and I walk through the door and my kids who are still little enough to be excited to see me they come running up to me and they say, Dad, you're home. I love to hear from them, to see them, to talk with them. And I think that's a glimpse into the heart of God. A God who's eager to hear our prayers. But here's the good news. The really, really good news in this opening address. You see, God not only longs to hear our prayers, He not only loves to hear from us, He is able to answer them. This leads us to our second point, where God is. And this is what Jesus says in the second half of this address. He says, this is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. See, because God is our Father, it means He desires to hear our prayers. He wants to hear our prayers. And because God is in heaven, it means He's able to answer them. I mean, you've heard the saying, friends in high places. If you're in Jesus, you have the ultimate friend in the ultimate high place. The ruler of the cosmos is your Father. I love the way that the old hymn puts it. This is my father's world. This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let earth be glad. Our father sits on the highest throne which means nothing is too hard for him, and it means nothing is beyond his gaze. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 8. Amazing little phrase. He said, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Our father knows what we need, and this is good news. Why? Because we don't know what we need. 
Now, we think we do. We think we see the whole picture. We think we understand our desires and and ourselves, but we don't, not really. Now, we're a little bit like my three-year-old son when he asks me for a digger. Not a toy one, a real one. Now, he thinks he wants it, but if he was to get it, he'd have no idea what to do with it. And if I was to start it up and put him on it, I almost guarantee you that he would be petrified of it. We don't always know what we need. If God gave everything us, everything that we ever asked for, that would be a disaster for us. I mean, you'd probably be married to someone different, you'd probably be living somewhere else, you'd probably be... If God gave us everything we ever asked for, it'd be a disaster. Now, of course, I know there are some things that we ask for, and we cannot see how they're anything but good. And we can't understand why God wouldn't say yes to those things. The healing of a loved one, the the reconciliation of a broken relationship. And you know, we're going to talk a a whole sermon, in a whole sermon about unanswered prayer in a few weeks' time. But for right now, the point is that we have a Father in heaven who knows what we need. We don't have to have everything figured out. We can come before Him honestly and humbly and with trust. He knows what we need and He'll give us what is good. That's what Jesus said again in Matthew 7, verse 11. He said, if you then, though you are evil, I love that Jesus is honest with us about us. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Our Father in heaven. This is, I think, the most important line in the prayer. This is the basis of prayer. Now, I know that for some of us, to call God Father is difficult. Because we didn't have a great dad. We had an earthly dad that was absent or or abusive or cruel. And it's hard for us to, to use that word in relation to God. But we need to remember that God is not like our earthly dads. He is our heavenly father. He is our perfect father. Perfect in love and justice and peace. He's never abusive or absent. He's never too busy to hear from us. He's always attentive to his children and he's able to help. And I guess this leads us to the question, well, how should this change the way that we pray? How does knowing God as our Father in heaven change the way that you and I pray while on earth? And this leads us to our third and final point, which is what it means for us. And I want to suggest two ways that this should inform the way we approach God in prayer. Firstly, because God is our Father in heaven, it means we can approach God gratefully. It means we should approach God gratefully. Every time we pray our Father, we are reminded of the gospel. We are reminded that we are children of God because of God's grace to us in Christ. We are adopted children because of God's great love. This means, as Pete Gregg suggests in his book, 
the best way to start praying, therefore, is actually to stop praying, to pause, to be still, to put down your prayer list and surrender your own personal agenda, to stop talking at God long enough to focus on the wonder of who he actually is. I mean, do you comprehend the unspeakable privilege to have God as your father? Does it amaze you? We can and we should approach God in prayer gratefully. Secondly, it means that we can and we should approach God confidently. Confidently. You know, like my children who run to see me at the end of the day, we too can run to God. Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, because of what Christ has done for us, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Or as Tim Keller puts it so well, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. We have free, open, unhindered access to God in prayer through what the Lord Jesus has done for us. We can and we should approach God with grateful confidence. And so here's where the rubber hits the road. Firstly, is God your father? We're all God's creatures. We all have God as creator. But the only way to have God as your father is to receive God's son. So turn to him and to put your trust in him. Is God your father? He can be. Secondly, if God is your father through Christ, are you turning to him in grateful, confident prayer? He is eager to hear from you. He loves to hear from you. He knows what you need, even before you ask him. What's holding you back? His heart is open to you. His ears are cupped towards you. And so maybe this week you just need to meditate on this one line of the Lord's Prayer. Maybe before you launch into asking God for things, you just need to remind your heart of who your God is. Our Father in heaven. And if you do slow down enough to reflect on that one line, I think it has the power to revolutionize your prayer life. After all, this is our Father's world. Why should our hearts be sad? The Lord is King. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let earth be glad. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the unspeakable privilege to call you Father. We thank you that from your great love, you sent your Son so that we might be brought home. And that you have filled us with your Spirit so that our hearts might cry out, Abba, Father. Lord, help us to approach you gratefully and confidently because of all that you've done for us. Thank you that you are our Father in heaven. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.